Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Mark Rose Podcast. Today's episode is with someone I've had the pleasure of listening to for years now. Luke Story is a writer, a meditation and metaphysics teacher, and a lifestyle design expert. And on his podcast and in his work, he shares transformative principles on health, addiction recovery, spirituality. He is an incredible teacher. And the, the information, the story he shares today, he is an incredible teacher. And the episode today is so rich with knowledge and grace and just so much insight and a beautiful journey. Luke is an incredible human, and I just feel so honored that I got to sit down with him in Austin, in his office, and just get to jam with him. And I also had the absolute privilege of being on his podcast as well. So make sure you check that episode out. Luke's story. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has. I feel like it's kind of like the chase, you know? Where I used to love chicks who were unavailable. I feel like I've been like, not that you've been unavailable, yeah. but just, uh, you know, it's when you finally arrive, I'm like, ah, oh, so much gratitude Likewise. to be able to sit down with you. Yeah, man, me too. Me too. Especially because, like, over the time that I've consumed your content, it is such a breath of different things. You know, like, I love your curiosity about how the world works. And actually, one of the first episodes I ever listened to of yours was someone sent me when you did the interview with Brendan, um, I forget his last Murata. name. Murata. Yeah. Uh, about circumcision. And yeah, I was so fascinated by that in the movie that he made, which that introduced me to the movie. But I was so encouraged by your your bravery to have that conversation because I feel like, not many people are having that conversation, but many of the ones you have. So I wanted to dig into like what informed your journey to want to explore optimization and, and just like, cause I find like so many of our paths are forged through something and just to share the richness of your journey and what you've learned along the way. I think part of it is just a character trait of being immensely curious and um, 
over time, what I've become increasingly curious about is understanding and discerning truth about the depth of the human experience, but also just the truth of how things work. Mm -hmm. So on a more superficial level, you know, how the human body, this meat suit operates, I find it so fascinating. What helps it, what hurts it, truths around that on a more material level. And then the existential truths of who are we? Why are we here? What is God? Is there a God? How do I have an experience of that if there is? Um, so that's just, I think, just part of my nature. I just want to know how things work, mm -hmm. right? Um, but in terms of the commitment and devotion to applying truth to my own life is born out of uh, suffering, and early in life, there was, um, you know, like so many people, I sometimes feel like melodramatic, like there was so much pain and suffering <laughs> and suffering and trauma and all of those things are largely subjective and we each experience them, I think, in some ways to the same degree, right? It's like you might have been the middle kid and you were ignored and neglected and didn't get a lot of physical touch, attention, encouragement, and you experienced the pain of that in the same way that one other kid who was the firstborn got hit a few times and yelled at, you know, it's yeah. like, I mean, there are degrees to obviously to um, abuse and things like that, not to negate that, but we all have our own suffering. And for me, I had a rough childhood, just, I think, objectively, uh, a lot of dysfunction and, um, and abuse and things like that, that I experienced. And my response to that in terms of coping was becoming a drug addict uh, really early in life and preteen addict. You wow. Know. How old were you? I was eight or nine when I started using, you know, and um, by what the did, time... What did you use at that time? Do you mind me asking? Uh, well, it, this was Northern California in the 70s. <laughs> and oh, yeah. So uh, there, was, there was a lot of cocaine around and uh, tons of uh, cannabis. You know, I was a huge pothead. That was kind of my first my first drug of choice and um and thankfully so i you know i i often think about that when i tell people about some of the <laughs> crazy shit that happened early in my life they're kind of like oh man that's so sad and i think it would have been even more sad if i had no access to drugs mm. and didn't have the kind of uh support that that i needed at the time you know and not that i didn't have some form of support from my parents and things like that um at least as much as they were capable of of giving but yeah, I just, um, I lived in a place and um, in that particular time period wherein the culture that I was um, surrounded with was just rife with drugs. And so it was a perfect storm of having a confused, hurt kid, um, not knowing how to process trauma and um, and just the general availability of a lot of drugs, you know, and so... Um, I'm grateful, you know, in one regard that I at least had some medication, you know. Um, but then by the time I was 14, I had really got myself into quite a deep hole with uh, with the addictions and was 
uh, arrested and, you know, it was getting now and bleeding into the legal system. And I was having um, a lot of problems with police and school and things like that. So I was sent away to Idaho, actually. What part? Bonners Ferry, Idaho. Oh, that's an interesting place. Yeah, to a very strange um, kind of cultish boarding school there for two years. And um, I was able to get sober for two years from 14 to 16. And then when I got out, um, I, I had learned a lot and there was a lot of therapy and healing and I, it was ultimately a very positive experience despite its strange methods of reformation mm-hmm. uh, for kids, troubled kids, you know. Um, but I didn't know anything about addiction and alcoholism really. I just knew that it was not a sound moral choice and I knew that so many of my problems as an early teen had come as a result of of my using, but I didn't understand the mechanics of addiction and so I started to dabble, you know, when I was about 16 and just immediately got swept up into full-fledged addiction. And then that, that went on and on a kind of downward spiral until I was 26. And when I was 26, um, I thankfully had the wherewithal to have myself checked into a treatment center and I got sober and um, thus began the, the part of the journey that I'm on now at 51, 25 years later of just um, becoming really committed to having a spiritual experience in life and also in healing and detoxing my body and just becoming sound and whole and integrous in my physical form so that I can do the inner work and have the vitality and energy and wherewithal to complete the mission here, which has evolved into uh, a life of service, you know, of just seeking truth, seeking answers, seeking understanding, and making um, a dharmic career path of sharing what I find with people. To, to your point, it, you know, it could be like, hey, let's take a look at why we sexually mutilate so many little boys in America and in other places, and maybe there's a better way to approach <laughs> you know, their, <laughs> yeah. their sexual development than um, cutting half of their penis off. To, um, you know, every form of meditation and breath work and uh, yogic practices and what's now called biohacking it used to be just called being an alternative health nut or something, you know. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I never thought of that, that it got titled. Yeah. Well, biohacking used to be, you know, like kind of fringe hippie type people and mostly older people that had run into some sort of physical challenges and were seeking answers outside of the Western medicine paradigm. So in the 90s, when I kind of got into the that side of it, you know, the infrared saunas and colonics and hyperbaric oxygen chambers and all this kind of stuff. Um, there wasn't really a name for it. You were just like the kooks that hung out at the health food store and, <laughs> you know, went to weird seminars on all kinds of different healing practices and things like that. But it's, it, it's funny actually that you mentioned that kind of the, the, um, the bandwidth of things that I'm interested in and talk about and in some cases teach if I have some degree of proficiency on a, in a topic but as was i walking back from the bathroom i was like wow that's so cool we just had a really in-depth conversation about all things relationships and i was going like shit luke you've you've learned a lot you know in a modest way just kind of going wow that was cool i got to really riff on that and i and i had a really healthy awareness that man i really have applied a lot of knowledge in in the past 25 years and you know some of it has culminated in in uh in wisdom it's hard to see yourself <laughs> right, right in right. terms of how other people see you i mean in in the most positive humble sense of 
just self-appreciation and self-acknowledgement. And sometimes that's challenging for me because I'm always looking for the next thing that I want to work on, right? Yeah. And it's so easy to negate the progress that one has made. But I just had that just moments ago. I was like, man, cool. You would have known nothing about the conversation, you know, the topics we just covered five years ago. You just totally had your head up your ass, Luke. And congratulations on pulling it <laughs> pulling 95% out <laughs> in that area, maybe, you know? So, yeah, but I don't know, man. I just have a thirst for wanting to know and understand and... And I think to close is just in asking that fundamental question, why are we here or why am I here? It's so clear to me that evolving in terms of my consciousness, some call it enlightenment or self-realization, that there's no other reason to be here. That's the one, one and only reason that I'm here in a body as a you know, embodied spirit or soul is to um, elevate to higher levels of consciousness as, as much as possible within reason while I'm here, you know? And so within that, there's, there's all sorts of different ways to do that at different times in your life, different seasons of your life. There might be some more introspective periods like we were discussing earlier about taking a couple years to be celibate, you know, and yeah. there's, there's that little venture into, the goal of self-realization in order to to come back from that and and have integrated the lessons of learning how to relate to oneself and be in a sense in love with oneself and then that opens up the realm of being in in the field of love with another person that we call being in love you know but what what if it's just about being in love in general rather than like in love with someone as they are personified mm. in an in a romantic sense, you know? So these are the things that I think about when I'm laying in bed, you know, it's just, <laughs> why are we here? What are we doing? How can we do it better? And, and then, and also I think what keeps it fun and interesting and keeps me motivated is the understanding that there is no point at which perfection will be achieved Yeah, on this plane of, of existence that we find ourselves in, in the human condition. And so, so then it becomes, much more fun because there are lower expectations <laughs> for oneself. You know, it's like, cool, I'm going to give all I got to this, 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 uh, this um, chapter in, in earth school, you know, that I'm here being a person playing Luke's story, having, having the, the intellect, the ego, the body, like all the things that make you up um, that I'm going to play the game as well as I can here, but also knowing that like, there's no winning this game. Mm -hmm. You know, the winning is in the intention of, at least for me, and this isn't, doesn't have to be everyone's goal, but is in the intention and the commitment to evolving and continuing an ongoing relationship with God. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so many things yeah. I want to touch on there. Uh, first, that level of the ability to, I don't think we often do this. We don't often take a moment to actually experience admiration for ourselves, admiration for how far we've come. You know, I think especially in sort of like a personal growth addicted culture in a lot of ways, maybe I'm, I'm definitely biased considering I'm in that world and that we're always trying to, you know, you said that, that like perfection will never exist. And there's almost like an exhale that occurs when, 
one accepts that as truth that that's not the the outcome yeah you know yeah yeah and i mean it's a fool's errand you know because <laughs> i mean the way i look at it at this uh, as of today you know and hopefully this will evolve but the fact that i'm still in a body because i know that i am awareness and i am consciousness that's what i am and how it yeah. expresses itself is through this persona and this body and all of the things right as a, as a luke story but the fact that i'm here in a body and that consciousness is expressing through those external uh, representations of who i am that that's proof in and of itself that i'm not going to achieve perfection because <laughs> inherent to that is having a body having an intellect having needs physical needs there's there's a need for energy that comes from outside of the body you know there's there's inherent laws to just being on planet earth in the, in the material plane that um i don't think you can supersede completely and transcend completely and it seems that those that do leave you know <laughs> that's so true thinking of in, enlightened masters you know yeah. these these stories and um in some traditions of people dematerializing or just, you know, having an understanding of their, the multiplicity of lifetimes in which they've experienced their own evolution and have arrived at a certain point where it's no longer necessary to be in this school that we call the human experience, you know? So it's like without being attached to graduation, which is maybe you don't incarnate anymore and seeing that as some sort of salvation to not have to experience suffering, right? Right. Because that, that's kind of a cop-out goal is like, okay, I'm going to do all the work so I don't have to come back to this wretched planet again. I've done that. Yeah. And suffer yeah, all yeah. of these insufferable humans. But to create kind of a game out of it and, and have some levity to it, you know, but still that, that commitment, you know, going toward the light, you know, going toward the Godhead of consciousness and doing everything within one's power and within reasonable expectations of oneself to keep going toward that is a worthy goal and maybe maybe the only goal really worth having. And then there are kind of micro goals and accomplishments along the way that are leading to that destination. But because you know that <laughs> by the time you arrive at the destination of self-realization or enlightenment, um, that you won't care, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. When you arrive, you're or, not attached. Or, yeah, or it. even, you know, it's just, it, it's like, how, how do you know if you're enlightened? Well, if you're asking that question, then you're not. Because if you were, <laughs> right. you wouldn't care that you were enlightened. You would just be enlightened. You know, it's that kind of thing. So anyway. So right before I sat down to get some work done this afternoon, I experienced that classic afternoon crash. You know, my energy was dropping and I could feel that my brain was sort of like, eh, are we going to do this? And I don't drink caffeine very often anymore. I don't want to be dependent on it. I might have a coffee once a week. And the reason is I don't want to have to be like, oh, I need a coffee to get through this afternoon. I felt like that was just another form of addiction. And I like my body and my mind to be free from the necessity of things in order to show up and perform. And so one thing that I've done in order to replace coffee and still get energy and also nutrition 
addition is I've been taking Organifi Red Juice. It's got 13 superfoods. It's fully organic. It's got no caffeine, just two grams of sugar that come from freeze-dried berries. And so not only does it provide me with energy, but it's actually super delicious and super easy to make. You just... In 30 seconds, you just open it up, mix it with some water, and drink it down. And as I said, it tastes so great. So if you want to save 20% off Red Juice, this sounds like it'd be a good fit for you if you're trying to kick coffee or whatever, check it out. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love. And that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash create the love. Go check it out. You save 20% on all the good stuff. I think that that Buddhism, you know, the aspect of like, he who knows, knows not, he who knows, not knows. Right. That like turning towards the world with curious eyes that you will never know, like you'll never know. And that not being a sad thing or a a bad thing, because we love to moralize everything, but it rather be that is the adventure, you know? And I'm I'm curious, where was that first realized this desire to... Um, experience God, touch God, touch something greater than self, and and you know was that sourced in in sobriety first or where? I think, I think even as a kid, I was really attracted to altered states of consciousness. You know, I remember for me um, being very moved by music. Hmm. You know, just hearing Jimi Hendrix for the first time—that's the one that I, I think. I probably remember the most. It's just like this wow. interplanetary sound. What is this? <laughs> just from another galaxy, you know, and just the, the feelings and the places that that would take me um, emotionally and, and I guess spiritually, you know, and, and that everything is energy and everything is some, some manifestation of consciousness. There's a manifestation of consciousness that shows up as Jimi Hendrix that has the ability to take an eight year old kid and just go, Whoa, I'm not here anymore. Right. Yeah. And so there's the kind of the polarity of the escapism of altered states of consciousness, whether that comes through sex, drugs, music, whatever early experiences I had that I would use for that uh, as a means by which to escape. But on, on perhaps a more positive note, there is a yearning for a more full experience of what it means to be a person. And, mm-hmm. and that yearning is perhaps, um, you know, a, a yearning to merge back with what it was that created me. Right. And so I think I didn't know what I was after in the beginning. And a lot of it was aversion to pain more so than attraction to consciousness mm-hmm. or to God. But over time, um, as I found healthier ways to alleviate and heal um, trauma and suffering and things like that, my pursuit of spirituality is not so much about the avoidance of pain anymore or even the pursuit of pleasure. It's just the richer my general day-to-day experience becomes, the more I can surrender into Oh God, it's like, I try to avoid sometimes using like religious sounding terms because not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm, I'm not religious, but it's like surrendering into the will of my creator or the will mm. of God, you know, and without giving up my will, um, more aligning my will with the highest intention for all creation. 
you know and yeah. so it's like it's it's not a yearning for god in the sense that um i feel god is missing from my experience it's more of an acknowledgement that that's all there is in this experience is god you know so rather yeah. i think earlier in life it was like i'd get a glimpse of ooh i this kind of feels like that god thing <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. going to india you know sitting in darshan at an ashram like whoa this feels really good i i need to go get this like where's god i need to find god and have more of this and it's like as time goes on, or at least my, my perception of what we call time, it's like, it's not about finding God. It's just about acknowledging that that's really all there is. You know, there's a great saying, if, if, you, um, if you're having trouble finding God, guess who moved, right? <laughs> so it's in just the simplicity of acknowledging that mm. all of this is a, play of consciousness consciousness is expressing as you as me as brandon over there as all of the material physical world and what a gift it is to be a part of that physical world and also have an acute and consistent experience of being much more than that what do you think about like that relationship that you sought you know that you experienced in some ways through glimpses through drugs through whatever and and it being at the time an aversion to pain makes total sense. I like how you framed it that you're grateful that you had those tools because I think so often when we look back at our addictions, there's shame about their choice rather than it was exactly what we needed to cope and survive and get through. Yeah. Um, so there's like a and and there was a period in in which I really enjoyed it too, <laughs> you know, especially I mean, like especially when I was a young emerging pothead i mean i loved to be high it felt amazing you know the yeah and i'm sorry to interrupt your question no, but all good. On, you know on finding the gift in addiction and what sort of defines addiction or abuse of substances and stuff because now i'm 25 years what what i consider to be sober i'm free of all of the things that i was addicted to and plan to stay that way for a long time but i've also explored with plant teachers and psychedelics um quite a bit in the last three years you know and and now it's like finding what differentiates something that allows one to get a glimpse or a taste of higher states of consciousness versus taking something to suppress lower states of consciousness yeah, to avoid yeah so yeah. when i was a kid smoking weed i had the perception that there was an elevation of consciousness but really i was just sort of hitting the mute button on the painful experience of being me as a kid and having all of these unresolved pains and issues you know so yeah thank god i had a way to numb myself and thank god that there um are other utilitarian uses for ways to alter your consciousness that don't have deleterious effects and um, can actually be constructive, right? Again, like kind of going towards something rather than trying to get away from something. But yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful. And I just think like, oh my God, thank God for Jimi Hendrix and like great <laughs> right. Northern California weed, you know? I mean, it's like, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. And and even, I mean, when I got into harder drugs when I was a bit uh, older, I mean, I wouldn't say I had the same relationship with things like heroin or crack and like just alcohol abuse. I mean, that was pretty gnarly and, and dark for the most part. But even within that, who's to say that I wouldn't have, you know, looked at suicide 
uh, more seriously or some of the, the other ideas that I had around coping would have probably been even worse choices, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm grateful for the whole thing. And and also, ultimately, I mean, it's you have to hypothesize, but I'm beginning to really enjoy the person that I've become. Mm-hmm. And um, I would be someone different had I not had those experiences. Right, so right. All like you the, wouldn't be here, we yeah, wouldn't be in this conversation. I would be a different version of this, right. this Luke Story character, right? But the one I am, it's like all of the the difficulties and the struggles and pains and addictions and all the things um, are all part of the ingredients that made this gumbo that I find myself swimming in now, you know? So it's like every little part of that experience is rich when observed from a broad perspective, you know, outside of the duality of, oh, this was right, this was wrong, this was good, this was bad. What if it all just is? And the conclusion of all that is and was is is what's now, which is like, this is really fun and interesting, you know? <laughs> well, I think of a quote I heard Richard, Rich Rohr say recently where he said that, uh, the journey to the true self is the same as the journey to the true God. Like, one is the other. Like, you're going to find God when you go to seek self, and you're going to find self when you go to seek God. That's I thought that good. was neat. It's It yeah. speaks really, I think, to, you know, I feel like we are constantly offered an invitation to touch this thing that you're talking about. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's our pain that seems to be the portal to that. I'm curious what you think the sign is that someone is maybe seeking that, like when you were in that space and what is the cost of not accepting the invitation or like ignoring this sort of connection to something greater than ourselves, being able to look at a leaf and recognize the miracle and, and that being that consciousness is expressed in all these different ways. You know, I think we like to make it more theatrical, more dramatic, you know, as opposed to this, uh, there's almost like too much simplicity in what you're saying. Like, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> I want to accept it because I know it to be true. But the yeah, other side yeah. is like, but what about all the drama? You know, yeah. what about Instagram? What about you know? Yeah. Well, it seems as though consciousness has manifested this earthly experience as sort of a playground in school for it to experience itself in infinite ways through infinite, literally infinite expression, right? And so if we subscribe to the framework that we come and go over and over and over and over and over again in different bodies here, you know, I mean, to me, reincarnation feels very real and I have an innate and visceral relationship to that that this lifetime i'm in now is a scene in the movie it's not the movie the movie is has no beginning and has no end (laughs) and this lifetime is just one blip on the radar of an expanse of this single point of consciousness expressing itself as different people in different times and places right so as I live this one and am gifted with this uh, sort of thirst to get every ounce of evolution I can out of it, there's also a, maybe not a knowing, but a suspicion 
that there have been hundreds, if not thousands of lifetimes where I just sat on my ass and didn't do anything with it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and I, I think that's why I I really perceive my past with addiction as such a gift um, because I, I not only see the the value in how it inspired me to really seek God in a, in a meaningful way and um, with, with such fervor, but also that there's this immense gratitude that I sense that that path of addiction or alcoholism is one that I've, for lack of a better term, failed many times. Mm. And that for whatever reason, this time, being born in the century in which I was born, that something very miraculous happened in Akron, Ohio in 1935. And it was the divinely inspired formation of of the 12 steps and um, what was um, called Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and that provided, um, as far as recorded history goes, an unprecedented wholesale means by which souls and and people in the bondage of addiction had a way out, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's sort of like looking at things from a much more broad perspective. I see that I just kind of went around and around on this hamster wheel of being stuck and stuck in lower states of consciousness until um, this time around, I got the gift of just having the perfect sort of DNA to become an addict very early and and um and and deeply profoundly addicted to a lot of different things yeah and then to have the opportunity to have that come to such um an obvious culmination and tipping point at 26 years old which of course at the time i felt like you know my life was over but looking back i was a kid i was a poo butt you know and here i am <laughs> just laid myself before a god that i didn't believe in and and was shown salvation and was really rescued from that life and just shown something new. You know, I don't, the, the, um, the miraculous nature of that event is not lost on me. There's, there's like a reverence for that gift this time around, knowing that it's likely that that was a very, very long time coming. Mm -hmm. And this also gives me a lot of compassion for people that I see. And I think, God, man, they're just going to a nine to five, getting some Wendy's on the way home, going home, watching sitcoms or watching football. And like, they're, they're missing the opportunity. You know, you're on earth school, man. You have, (laughs) you have the ultimate spectrum of choice in consciousness from the lowest of low reptilian, homicidal, genocidal, uh, you know, demonic, human that you can imagine, you know, the lowest of low, you have a spectrum to be able to go from that to a saint. Yeah. Maybe even in one lifetime, you know, and to see someone that's just kind of sitting there not doing any work, um, it gives me an, a compassion uh, knowing that what I'm seeing is probably just a sliver of the expanse of all of their lifetimes. Hmm. And that it's likely that I wasted tons of them and then for whatever reason, maybe through karmic propensities, reach this sort of tipping point of abject failure and difficulty that in this particular lifetime led me to just go, you know what? Fuck this. Well, we're changing this. Yeah. 
This is the end of whatever pattern has presented. And we are now going to heed the call and in a meaningful and an earnest uh, manner seek to merge with that consciousness that I separated from. To contextualize it over lifetimes really does offer so much more compassion. Like yeah. to say that. So right before I sat down to get some work done this afternoon, I experienced that classic afternoon crash. You know, my energy was dropping and I could feel that my brain was sort of like, eh, are we going to do this? And I don't drink caffeine very often anymore. I don't want to be dependent on it. I might have a coffee once a week. And the reason is I don't want to have to be like, oh, I need a coffee to get through this afternoon. I felt like that was just another form of addiction. And I like my body and my mind to be free from the necessity of things in order to show up and perform. And so one thing that I've done in order to replace coffee and still get energy and also nutrition is I've been taking Organifi Red Juice. It's got 13 superfoods. It's fully organic. It's got no caffeine, just two grams of sugar that come from freeze-dried berries. And so not only does it provide me with energy, but it's actually super delicious and super easy to make. You just, in 30 seconds, you just open it up, mix it with some water and drink it down. And as I said, it tastes so great. So if you want to save 20% off red juice, this sounds like it'd be a good fit for you if you're trying to kick coffee or whatever, check it out. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love. And that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash create the love. Go check it out. You save 20% on all the good stuff. Because you think even inherited trauma, that's true, even if we were to just take time in its sort of linear sense and say, okay, well, if I look at my family tree, addiction lives deep. And that's really going back lifetimes, whether it's mine or my DNA. Oh, that's a good right? point. Yeah, it's... It, and that's very true. And are they case. different? You know, like, yeah, in my case yeah. too, I mean, I've got Irish on one side and there's a, a large uh, <laughs> admiration for alcohol Yeah, in a highly any highly traumatized culture, you know? And, you know, the when I think of that, experience of going from that invitation to go deeper to feel something greater than self i think of um the experience of uh psychedelics and i remember the first time i ever did mushrooms was not with some sort of deep intention <laughs> like i wasn't like we're gonna touch god here but i happened to be in the forest camping and my experience was something i had never felt before uh, there's Ram Das. I remember is talking to Maharaji, his teacher, and he says to to Ram, "Why do you do so much LSD?" And he says, "When I do it, I get to sit down with Christ." And Maharaji said, "Instead of visiting him, why don't you become him?" Yeah, and yeah, so good. I love that because it's in, in some way, I think too with like MDMA therapy. Therapy, you have someone who's been depressed their whole life experiences MDMA. And all of a sudden has experienced feelings they didn't know they had access to. And now it's opened a doorway. And it seems to me, I'm not sure exactly my question yet, but one part is we seem to be really afraid of what we don't understand, especially in the context of psychedelics and MDMA. Like traditional medicine rejected it till it seemed like it might be profitable, really, ultimately, let's be honest. <laughs> and the other side of it is this interesting balance or complexity of of like, do we need technologies that are outside of psychedelics because the world we've created 
like is pulling us away from this natural thing, the psychedelics, the natural compounds, the natural experience, like our technology? Is it both aiding us, but do we also need to create these sort of biohacking techniques in order to rescue ourselves from it too? And I also think there's obviously a beautiful thing like we're optimizing as well, which is something we've never done. So I'm curious what that brings up for you. And I'm sure we can go in a thousand yeah, different directions. There's a, a couple of sides of that, you know, in terms of I've had a hard time labeling who I am or what I do professionally in the world, largely because I'm just interested in so many yeah. aspects of the human experience. But for lack of a better term, let's just say biohacking, right? And I think from and technologies and supplements and diet fads and workouts. I have like, a pill thing, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm fanatical. Yeah, me too. And, you know, there's been a lot of self-acceptance that has been invited into my experience and just understand I'm just kind of wired that way. Not everyone is, but I am, you know, um, I was talking to actually talking to a friend about this yesterday and he was like, man, do you ever feel like, you know, you just kind of switched addictions? Like you were this really committed drug addict and then you get sober and now you're doing all these supplements and all these things. And I said, yeah, I mean, I have enough self-awareness to understand. Yeah, I mean, I I would say I do a lot of the physical practices and biohacking things in um, a ritualistic, compulsive, obsessive way much of the time. But you like channeled it into something expansive. This is true. Right. Yeah, this is true. And so, it's interesting. you know, just being totally real, there's the acknowledgement of, yeah, I kind of traded one thing for the other. Going further. Good trade. Is there anything wrong with that? Right. Not necessarily. Is it something that invites some awareness? Yeah. And on the other side of that awareness, what I've come to is I've asked myself questions like this. Like, Luke, what if you just woke up one day and took no supplements, didn't do any of your biohacking shit and just like woke up and live your life, which is how my wife is. You know, she gets up and she has like my partner. I own red light. I'm like you. I get a lot of the ideas from you and then I'm like, I need that. And then I have your glasses, which is the one technology she's stolen from me. Yes. But love the blue blocking glasses. Dude, your glasses are dope. But so, you know, having enough self-awareness to see that. But I I think where I've arrived is just in more self-acceptance. I'm just innately that way. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just a guy who like, there's no job. There's not a right or wrong. Yeah. It's It's again, that moralization. It's just an acknowledgement of at least up until now throughout Mm -hmm. my whole life, I've been someone that reaches for things to sort of manage my experience of, Uh, of my reality and the way that I feel. Do I want to feel a little like more relaxed right now? There's a thing for that. Do I want to feel a little more energized? There's a thing for that. And I used to use things that were very destructive and that actually put me to sleep in terms of just being Mm -hmm. in conscious awareness or, or less so. And so to me with the biohacking and all of this stuff now, having that awareness of, of, of myself that, you know, I'm kind of just wired this way and, it's not likely to change um, unless it changes through some act of providence. And I wake up and just feel like, you know what? I don't need any of this stuff. I'm just going to be a normal person, eat a burger, go to sleep, wake up, repeat, you know, but I'm just into all the things. That's in its way, its own sort of disassociative addiction. Yeah, exactly. So if I am that way and, and it's become part of my uh, vocation as well to discover things and share them with people, then what's the real purpose of it? And what I've arrived at with that is a lot of the things that I do on um, 
mental, emotional, spiritual level, just practices and ways of interacting in the world and what my dharmic and, I guess, karmic path is in life and what I'm here to learn and, and not only learn but to contribute, that requires a lot of energy, you know? And so yeah. if I'm if I'm in a body, I'm gifted with and, and saddled by being incarnated in this body, if I really want to do what I'm here to do, it's going to require vitality, chi, energy. I mean, I want to sit and do five hours worth of interviews and have verbal and mental acuity and sharpness and energy and have a great mood and then feel like I can go run the dog after this and do the things I want to do without burning myself out, you know, and to develop an ebb and flow of great recovery and restorative practices and then energizing practices Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think for me, it's becoming um, more unified in terms of not delineating oh these are my physical practices and these are my spiritual practices and 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 dismantling any hierarchy of which are more valid or not because they both serve the same purpose which again is that life's purpose of elevating one's consciousness and and um having that be an act of service for anyone who wants to learn how to do that as well the idea that even the the spiritual versus or sorry like that the technology be literal technology, like a phone or a mm-hmm. app or like a red light or whatever, versus uh, technology like meditation. Right. You know, this idea that there's a sort of hierarchy, uh, which is interesting because <laughs> I find myself wanting to reject technology sometimes. Yeah. How Like digital technology, mm-hmm. because I see so many of the costs of it too but how who can argue the incredible like i think of that as like you know they talk about how the internet is the decentralization of knowledge much like bitcoin or that is the decentralization of money and i think of how we're sort of in a space i feel like where we're decentralizing ourselves and but these technologies like meditation or like red light therapy are all inviting us on some way to make deposits into ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, I remember someone once saying to me that our decisions are either pro death or pro life. Like the decisions we're making are either moving us towards death or moving us towards life. And when we finally turn to face the things we've been running from our coping, our dark coping mechanisms, actually we start to turn towards light, expansive mechanisms. And it sounds to me like that was the transition that really occurred. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I For would, me, too. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. And with the... It's one thing I think that's g- good to point out, maybe for some people it could be useful, is... I don't know, it's like finding a balance, right? There's There's one perspective. Let's say, like... Part of your life purpose or the crux of your life purpose is to grow spiritually. I should say you're a spiritually committed person. Mm -hmm. Um, From one perspective, you could find good reasons to negate all of your physical experience and, you know, taking supplements and eating healthy and exercising, like thinking of the renunciate that goes and lives in a cave in the Himalayas, right? Like you're just leaving society, your family, your career, the need for money, material possessions, 
you know, abs, you, you stopped caring about those a long time ago and you were sitting in a cave doing your thing that like, that, that is that your experience has to be in the extreme of that or on the opposite end of the spectrum. You're someone who has no considerations for your emotional, spiritual, mental well-being, or progression and growth. And you're just like biohacking yourself into being the optimized human being, you know, and spending every hour of the day in the gym, right? And just eating all the right things and being so caught up in the material realm that you're negating that. And it's not like a one is right and one's wrong, good or bad. But I think there's an opportunity for those of us that are so inclined to sort of possibly avoid those extremes on either end, you know, and, and find a way to, to find balance and to become integrated so that you kind of have them both really. Yeah. Right. Like I enjoy technology and I like having a car and my cell phone and all of that. But I find when I lean too much into that and sort of lose my, my groundedness and connection to the natural world and to other people, or even just to my own physicality with all of those props and distractions that um, I'm sort of missing some of the the depth of the experience. And if I start just sort of floating off in the clouds and being too etheric, um, then I um, tend to lose some of my effectiveness in terms of what I'm here to contribute, right? It becomes almost a selfish spiritual endeavor where I just want to go hide and kind of meditate and just, well, I'm just being with God. And there's an there's sort of a um, a potential, from, in my experience, I'm, I'm not putting any of this on other people. Again, I'm just sharing my own, but... There's a potential cop-out for like, I don't need to do anything with the physical body or in the physical realm because it's just about being spiritual, you know? But there's um, there's maybe, might be aligned with um, some people's perspective of a householder, you know? In, in Indian culture, there's spiritual aspirants that are deeply committed to their spiritual practices and meditation, but they do have a job and maybe own a company and have kids and a family and are also just as spiritually committed as the renunciate who bailed to the cave in the Himalayas, right? Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's different historical precedents as to why, at least in that country, those have kind of come in and out of um, common practice, depending on if the country's being invaded. And, you know, the Vedic knowledge, for example, needed to be kind of hid underground. Uh, and so people ran off to the mountains and hills and were just sort of reclusive and held on to this, uh, these ancient... Um, uh, bodies of knowledge. And then there were times where it was more safe for the householders to carry that knowledge forward to future generations too. So there's a time and a place, I think, for um, giving up on the trappings of your, your life and going and doing deeper spiritual work. But in my experience, the real, uh, the, how do I say it? It's like, it's almost harder to live in those spiritual realms and also play along with being a person. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and having a how career. do you do both? Yeah. And, you know, going back to that, finding a, a place of balance that keeps things interesting because you're, you know, you're kind of honoring both sides. Like you're honoring the materialistic part of our human experience and also that part of the experience that is devoid of any physicality, the, the spiritual realm that's truly just metaphysical. So it's like maybe in the marriage of the metaphysical and the physical and acknowledging that, well, they're both here for us to kind of play with and work with. So maybe I can kind of find a way to integrate both of them. And so that, um, in all the work that I do is 
just personally and the things that I share is reminding people that there's not a right or wrong in that and that there there are ways to kind of integrate both of them. And that might include some geeky ass biohacking technology <laughs> that helps you meditate better. And right. there are things that do that, you know? So I, on any given day, you might find me with like three different devices strapped on. And I've also taken a microdose of, of, of this or that. And, and then that's how I prepare to like come in and sit at my computer and, and uh, interface with commerce and business and entrepreneurship. Right. So it's, it's all inclusive and, and that makes it interesting to me too. You know, it's just being open to the richness of the whole experience, meta and purely physical, and then finding how charm uh, kind of draws me to one side or the other with the passage of time and, and where I am in a different life stage. You know, mm-hmm. there's been stages for me where it's like all about like my meditation practice and, really sort of removing myself from the world um, for periods of time, at least to some degree and really going inward. And then, and then that becomes a trap too, because then I'm kind of hiding out in in the yoga class and the meditation class and doing that stuff. And it's like, all right, you've gained this level of um, self-awareness or you've um, adopted certain spiritual practices and and principles you've integrated into your life well so what are you just going to go sit and kind of hoard hoard these gifts to yourself or are you actually going to enter into the world and find a way to share them with people and if you're going to do that who's going to pay the bills you know <laughs> right so it's yeah. like you know and how do you monetize that you yeah know? Like i've always other- struggled with that right because it's like even when people ask for my bio and stuff, I'm like, I don't know what to call myself or what I do. I really don't. Like lately, just out of frustration, I just am like a spiritual teacher. And I feel fraudulent in that claim, to be honest with you, um, because I I don't know that that's exactly what I am. <laughs> but if I, if I could do something, that's what I would be mm-hmm. intending to do. Uh, but I also don't feel called to like, hold a weekend seminar and and teach people about ways to interface with God and charge them $5,000, you know, and I'm not criticizing anyone that does that, but I have always sort of struggled with that. And, and that's like the part of what I do for my, my career and, and work that is more in the physical realm that has to do with all the brand partnerships I have, like, Hydroshot, shout out to Hydroshot, you know. Hello, Hydroshot. But yeah, all of you know sponsors of my podcast and brands that I love and support, and working with all these different companies. Um, I mean, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, and that's the side of it that pays the bills. So, yeah, you get to yeah. do what you love. And yeah, you know, so finding that balance, I, I think, is it's just something always I'm I'm always sort of playing with and trying to find where do I fit in in the ecosystem of um, people that have podcasts and write books and do you know lectures and keynotes and all that kind of stuff you know because i'm interested in all of it and i think that ultimately for the richness of the human experience if i had to choose you know if someone asked me what do i emphasize on like getting in shape and getting healthy and detoxing and you know herbalism and biohacking and i'd be like eh, prayer <laughs> yeah meditation living a contemplative lifestyle you know really just like slowing Think, down. Thinking about things deeply, grounding nature, sun, cold water, hot water, being, you know, doing vision quests and just having some time alone. Like, I think that the 
spiritual pursuits are the ones that probably ultimately provide us with the most fulfillment. But the physical side of it is also fun and interesting to some of us, you know? It's just, I think one would be wise to be mindful that if you get too wrapped up in the physical side, thinking you're going to supplement your way to enlightenment or fulfillment or purpose, um, it can be a trap and that it becomes uh, just another distraction, right? All Mm -hmm. the technologies, all the pills, all the potions, all the smoothies and elixirs and all the things. It's like you can kind of, and I know this from experience, um, one can hide out in that as a means by which to avoid doing the inner work of just being still with oneself and being in observation and experience of what comes up when there's nothing distracting you. Yeah, and that message you're inviting us to explore which edges do we have the propensity propensity to go towards. Because I think we've done this ideologically. We do this, you know, in in so many ways. Like I find often my my work or my interests would be either hyper-scientific and linear and data-driven and there's safety in that, you know, and then... right and then i'll be drawn to like hyper spiritual really going to that but learning you articulated it so well because i feel like part of my journey or my understanding has been how do i actually do both like how do i um you know you said the ethereal and the the material world Mm -hmm. and it's like you can't you are a spiritual being having a human experience and you can't just be one or just be the other, mm-hmm. you know? And I, there's almost an accountability that comes with recognizing you're a spiritual being in a human experience. At least for me, I think of that study where, again, going in the linear, the study where the uh, former inmates took psychedelics and then the ones who took the psychedelics, just one experience had a much lower, um, rate of committing more crimes that makes sense right yeah and anyone who's experienced psychedelics i think can really understand that Mm -hmm. and so it shows you there's something about like i feel like culturally there's a lot of dialogue about this exploration of psychedelics plant medicines it seems to be coming quite common and oh thank god right (laughs) right and just like it's place for addiction yeah you know because like gabor mate was like the OG of that in like one of the most addicted spaces in Canada, in Vancouver. And, you know, his work was frowned upon. And now, you know, using ayahuasca and things like that yeah. for exploration and healing, they seem to be. That, I mean, that right there is a fascinating intersection. Yeah. You know, um, in, in my life, something I, I sense I'll probably be, I don't know, there's like a, just the intersection of like addiction recovery and plant teachers, psychedelics, et cetera. There's this inner knowing that I have something meaningful to share um, based on my experience and, and, and just my kind of research, research and experience of, of that world. Um, but it's also terrifying because of the controversial nature of it. All right. <laughs> There's like a side and it's like, Luke, this is kind of what you're supposed to be talking about like, and doing. Like this is your expertise. Like how your thing is like connection, yeah. love, relationships. My thing could very easily be like addiction recovery and, and, and plant medicines and psychedelics. But it's like, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to be that guy, you know? And not that I'm the only one talking about that, uh, as you mentioned, Gabor Mate. But to me, this is like, something that gets me so excited and um, 
so many dots. So have, necessary. So many dots have connected yeah. for me. I, I did a talk at a, an event called Meet Delic and um, I made a actually made a podcast about it too. Um, it was um, for those that might want to check it out. It was um, released on New Year's Eve, two thousand twenty-one. Yeah, we'll put the, and it's about addiction, notes. recovery, and psychedelics. But essentially, I put together this pretty thorough and thoughtful uh, presentation about altered states of consciousness, higher states of consciousness, peak experience, mystical experiences as they pertain to being the origin seed of an addict's sobriety mm. and specifically um the co-founder of alcoholics anonymous bill wilson um his story it's in the book alcoholics anonymous um involves taking a really strong sedative and plant medicine um that had something called belladonna in it it was kind of a cocktail that they would use to um put drunks through detox back in the uh, mental wards of hospitals back in the 30s and he had, um, um, in conjunction with having this um, psychedelic experience, he had what he, he called the white light experience, which um, culminated in his sobriety and then ultimately the formation of Alcoholics Anonymous, which has gone on wow. to you know, affect literally millions of lives positively in all of its different forms. And yeah. there's, this, there's a something anonymous for everything now, you know, which is so, so beautiful. Um, but that that was what that talk was about. And it's like, huh, this is interesting that most of us have, and rightly so, based on just historical evidence that abstinence from all mind-altering substances is the way for someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol to become sober and to sustain that sobriety. When the factual historical account is that the most prominent person that started at least in this century in the movement around that not only began his journey with <laughs> right. a mystical experience that involved medicine, plant medicines or psychedelics, but also later on went to experiment with LSD uh, on record on a number of occasions. He was friends with Aldous Huxley. It's a really fascinating story. Um, this again is Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wherein he understood that the purpose of the 12-step program that he had created, and this is in the literature too, that the purpose of that was to elicit a spiritual experience um, in the member that would um, remove their cravings and obsession for, for drugs or for alcohol, at least at that point, right? So sense. he knew that there was a connection between high states of consciousness, mystical experiences, and the alleviation of this pesky addiction, right? Yeah. And so he went into the LSD research um, trying to discover a means by which people could sort of on demand have a mystical spiritual experience that would absolve them of the affliction of alcoholism. And so, but to see that, but where it gets slippery is then anyone that's like, being told they should be sober or someone that wants to get sober themselves is like, oh, I should just go do a bunch of LSD, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, there's so much, it's so nuanced, you know, as someone who's been through all of this, I can say, I mean, it's it's really delicate because the fatality rate on true acute addiction and alcoholism is very high. I mean, and the failure rate of uh, people attempting to get sober is also very high, yeah. I mean, even with Alcoholics Anonymous and the other programs, right? 
So it's like, from one perspective, and this was my personal experience, complete abstinence from all mind-altering chemicals is the way forward. The trick is solely being abstinent from drugs and alcohol for an addict does not in and of itself heal the underlying issues that instigated that addiction in the first place. Yes. Right? So you could be what they call um, in some circles a dry drunk, right? Where you're like, oh, you quit drinking, you white knuckle it through willpower, maybe maybe um, a fulfilled prayer, like was what happened for me. I had a sincere prayer and, and I stopped craving drugs. It was like magic, you know, which is a whole other story. But let's say you get sober and you don't do any of the other work. Like uh, you could take the work involved in the 12 steps. There's all of these um, these spiritual principles that you have the opportunity to work with and integrate into your life to heal yourself, you know, emotionally um, and sort of to excavate the things in your life and in your personality and your mindset and your emotional body that are preventing you from having the experience with God, right? With a yeah. spiritual experience that's ultimately the thing that gets you sober. But like just cutting drugs and alcohol out of your life doesn't <laughs> produce that. What no. produces that is is spiritual experiences and spiritual truths um, that elevate your consciousness to the point where you're comfortable enough in your skin that you don't need to go do drugs and alcohol because you feel pretty damn good being sober. In other words, the antidote for addiction is not just being physically sober because if being physically sober felt good to an addict or an alcoholic, they would go do it. <laughs> right. It, it would be that simple. When you're addicted, being sober feels like shit. Yeah. Why? Because you're using a substitute facsimile for a spiritual experience in the cocaine or heroin or alcohol or crystal meth or whatever it is you're doing, right? You're you're suppressing those negative states of consciousness, those negative feelings, negative thoughts. So when you take the drugs and alcohol away, there's a tsunami yeah. of all the shit that you've been suppressing. But there is <laughs> still within that whole framework, I, for myself at least, a place for not using addictive or drugs that are typically addictive or self-destructive, there is a place for other mind-altering substances that do have the ability to heal those things that are largely unreachable and yeah. just unattainable. I mean, I was 22 years sober before I even remotely considered the idea of doing plant medicines or psychedelics. And when I um, went on that path, I mean, I think it worked out for me so far because I was so deeply committed to staying sober and being that way for the duration of my life in terms of not drinking or doing, you know, like illicit street drugs or any of that, the things that have caused me so many problems. And the level of um, depth to my healing and growth and just the things that I've been able to overcome in three years of of conscientious, deliberate work with these medicines in stellar environments with well-schooled and studied and experienced facilitators. I just want to preface yeah, that. Like, I'm yeah. not talking about going to a dead show and doing acid like <laughs> I used to do in my 20s, but like really intentionally using these things on occasion. You know, I just want to say this is not for everyone, but the things that I've been able to get to and heal 
I couldn't touch in 22 years of being wow. deeply committed yeah. to my path. It's not like I'm like a guy, I just quit drinking and then I just do whatever the fuck I want. No, I'm like deeply committed to multiple programs for many, many years. Yeah. And I mean, my to whole healing. life was committed to getting better and healing and, and also to spiritual pursuit. And yeah, so for me, it's been really interesting to like have that same level of commitment to sobriety, but also to have so many undeniably profound and transformative experiences with, with psychedelics. And so I don't know how all of that comes together, but I do know that there is something that is ineffable that can potentially take place in the right set and setting in those states of consciousness with those plant teachers or those medicines that I personally could not bring about or facilitate in my own life without that happening. Not to say that some don't. I mean, I know people that are sober for a very long time and they've worked out a lot of their shit and seem to be very functional. But there were just things for me that I could not heal, I couldn't get to without the assistance um, of those teachers. And and as a result, and this is the, maybe the last thing I'll say because I know we're short on time, but you know, I've had talks with... Um, people in my family and people from my sober community uh, whom I deeply respect and um, at various times have come to me with uh, concerns, you know, because uh, I'm very public about everything I do. Yeah. I mean, I have my podcast and I go to Costa Rica and do ayahuasca. I'm 22 years sober. I'm live streaming from the ayahuasca <laughs> center. You know what I mean? It's just, I love to document the things that I'm doing and just share with people, hey, this is available, you know, if yeah. it's, it's right for you. So it hasn't been like a lot of pushback, but there have been a couple of concerned people that are like, hey man, I'm just checking in. Like you're yeah. sober guy, what are you doing? And um I don't have a need to explain myself or defend myself because I know where I am in my heart and I, and I know the results of how I feel and the healing that's taken place. But what I've said to a couple of them is, and this is also just checking myself too. Am I delusional? Am I like going back into old patterns or escapism yeah. or is there any potential for addiction? Or now I think because I smoked DMT that, oh shit, I could probably have a glass of wine. It's no big deal, you know, yeah. like, which I'm not, by the way, I don't want to take that chance um, and have no desire to anyway. But what I've said to those couple people that have lovingly um, shown their curiosity slash concern is like the principle, um, by their fruits, you shall know them. It's like if I zoom out of the life of Luke's story objectively and go, okay, so you, you were here at 22 years then there was a huge punctuation mark in your journey wherein psychedelics and, and plant medicines entered your experience. Let's look at your relationships. Let's look at your finances. Let's look at your self-worth, your emotional regularity, your mindset, the way that you think, the way that you speak, your impact on those about you, whether it be positive or negative. Let's really take a look at that, like zoom out 30,000 feet and say, okay, 22 years, then for three years, this other thing entered the picture. What did it do? What's happened? And objectively and unequivocally, my life, the fruits of my behavior, choices, etc., has unequivocally and completely and radically improved. Right on. You know, so yeah. it's like, how do you reconcile that with the old paradigm of complete abstinence from every single thing? 
every molecule that can cause you to feel yeah. or think differently for the rest of your life is the one and only way forward. And and have I gone back and experimented with alcohol or heroin or cocaine or any of that? Like, I feel less likely about that pr prospect <laughs> taking place. It's much less likely now than it even was at 22 years. Like, now I'm just like, oh, hell no. Because yeah. now life is becoming so rich um, and just so delicious and fruitful and expansive that to take a chance on throwing that all away to numb myself out with some heroin is just like, oh God, that would just be the supremely idiotic, illogical path. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's just like, no way would I throw it away. I wasn't going to throw it away at 22 years, at 25 years, like even less so. I value my life um, and, and, and who I am and, and my daily experience even so much more as a result of of just coming to a better and greater understanding of who and what I am and what my relationship is to others and my relationship to God and consciousness as a whole, just my whole um, subjective experience of life is so much more interesting um, that I value it so much more. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Like the richness of each moment is so potent in your sobriety and whatever that means that, yeah. that, I feel the same way. Like I'll never, at this point in time, I have no interest in ever touching alcohol again because really all my, I've never really made a bad decision sober, you know, but I've certainly made a few. I have. Right? <laughs> well, I, I mean like no. life destructive no, I know sort of, yeah, sure, you know, sure. or, or yeah. ones that are out of my integrity. Yeah. And uh, I think of like, do I want to taste wine again? Maybe, but the idea of, what could happen if I do, if I'm not in, like I thought about having a drink again just to see. I didn't quit because I ended up in a ditch or something, you know, mm -hmm. I just chose to stop. And I was like, hmm, maybe I can now choose my relationship with alcohol. And then I had two nightmares that week that I got wasted and whatever. And I was like, message received, like not the time. Wow. Um, and I could talk to you for another two hours, which means we got to continue that. <laughs> We're sure, going to have to do sure. it digitally. Sure. Uh, but man, I so appreciate you and your time and just how vulnerable and open you are about your whole journey. And, and you are on your podcast and you have been here. Um, I'm curious, we'll, we'll link everything in the show notes mm -hmm. that you've mentioned. I'm curious, where can people find more of you and, and more of these sort of tips on technologies and all that? Yeah. Um, well, my podcast, The Lifestylist, I think is a, is a good meeting point for people that you know, want to um, be exposed to some of the things that I'm exploring. And that's um, that's probably f just for me professionally, the thing that I have the most fun with. Like, I love having conversations with people like you. Yeah, same. There's just, I continue to learn and expand, and it brings me a lot of joy to get feedback from people. I mean, I get messages literally every day from someone that's like, I've been listening to your podcast, and I changed X, Y, and Z, and, you know, it changed my life. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, yeah. and I'm like, I know that I'm, I'm putting forth some effort and contributing to that happening, but really I'm just like on my journey and I just happen to be documenting it, so you awesome. know, and finding the best of the best in all the realms and, and just kind of curating yeah. things, you know, being uh, a vessel. Uh, yeah. Curating a platform of, of tools, whether physical or metaphysical that 
people can adopt or not. And, um, and if they do, it, it seems to have a positive effect. So yeah, the podcast and, um, and then my site is lukestory.com, S-T-O-R-E-Y. And there, uh, you know, I have a great online store of, um, I don't sell anything, um, but just links to all the cool shit that I find in the world. And I have a, a blue blocking eyewear line called Gilded. Yeah, you do. They're beautiful. Um, so I'm, I'm into that. I was a fashion stylist uh, for many years before getting into the health and wellness industry. And so I kind of married my love for, which I don't think I love fashion now, but I'm not mad at having like a cool pair of blue blockers, you know? Right. Uh, but just, yeah, my sort of fashion sense and design aesthetic with the science of, uh, you know, melatonin production and all the geeky biohacking stuff about blue blockers. Um, and all that's there and all my videos and um, got an online course about EMF mitigation on there. And, Perfect you know, things like that. Um, and then on social media, I'd say I'm most active on Instagram um, until they kick me off for being too outspoken, which <laughs> may have happened earlier today. We'll find out if I can log back on <laughs> saying, you know, the verboten words uh, in our in our vernacular that aren't allowed. But uh, yeah, Instagram, I, I, I really, despite the censorship and stuff, I actually really like Instagram. It's It's a useful tool for sharing your world with people and getting, yeah, a, agreed. you know, I went on your Instagram today to interview you and I was like, oh, I want to get a sense of like, you know, Mark's, um, you know, like your favorite topics and what you're into and really fine tune my experience of having a conversation with you. So I think it's a really useful platform. I look forward to one that is perhaps more um, or less centralized and, you know, controlled and sort of curated. Yeah, but for now, I'm on Instagram at Luke Story and it's, um, you know, a way that I keep in pretty good contact with people. I answer DMs and like interface with people. I'm not like, the guy who has an Instagram account just lets it sit there and pretends like it's not me on, you know what right, I mean? Like, right, right. I mean, I have people that help with the account and stuff, but I love talking to people and sending messages and hanging out and commenting back and try to kind of take the Gary V approach to really valuing the people that are sort of part of my ecosystem, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here, my friend. Yeah, Appreciate man. you. Thanks for having me on. Good times. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.